Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The first reading can be found on page 190 of uh, the Bibles that you have. Um, That's Deuteronomy chapter 10 beginning at verse 12. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 12, that's page 190. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good? To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God, who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your forefathers who went down into Egypt were seventy in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. The second reading is taken from the book of James and can be found on page 1214. That's chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Page 1214. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favouritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said... Do not commit adultery, 
also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's pray as we stand together. Heavenly Father, that is indeed our prayer tonight, that love be found amongst us, love that is sincere, love that is shown without fear of the cost, love that is like your love. Father, we know, as we have already said tonight, that that is not in ourselves, but we know it is in you. And so, Father, we pray that as you speak to us a word of your love for us, a word that would call us away from our fearful games of favouritism and partiality, uh, away from all of those things uh, to the freedom that you call us to. Uh, Please, Father, set our hearts ablaze with uh, your desires for us and free us from our own. Uh, We pray this for your glory's sake. Amen. Well, please uh, take a seat. In 1944, uh, the author C.S. Lewis was asked to give a lecture uh, to the graduating students from King's College of London University. And as uh, this was just before they were embarking upon uh, life in the real world, uh, finally free of the cloistered environment of university, about to embark on whatever life would hold. And he was given uh, the choice of any topic. Uh, Speak on whatever you like, Lewis, they said. Well, of all the topics uh, Lewis could have chose uh, to give advice to these uh, young lives, he spoke on this, uh, the temptation that we all have to play at favourites. He spoke about the, uh, the addiction we have with the desire to be in the inner ring, uh, to make it into that group that seems elusive to us, but uh, we forever want to be there. And so he warned them of this. I warned them to break free of the desire of what he called the inner circle. Uh, Lewis described that as the permanent and uh, deepest desire of the human heart. Uh, We long to be part of cliques of people who seem just out of reach. If I could just get in that ring of people. To be excluded uh, from those circles drives us slightly mad. Uh, But to enter them, well, quietly exultant. It is a desire, Lewis says, that drives dozens and dozens of our daily decisions, shapes our priorities. Lewis went on to argue that these inner rings, these circles of friends that we want to break into are by nature exclusive. They have to be. Now let me quote him. Here's what he said. Once you are in the inner ring, you want to make it as hard as possible for the next entrant, just as those who were already in the ring before you made it hard for you. The genuine inner ring exists for exclusion. There's no fun if there aren't outsiders. The invisible line between you and them would have no meaning unless people were the wrong side of it. Exclusion is no accident in the inner ring. It is the essence. But, says Lewis, this quest for playing at favourites, this quest for the inner ring will exhaust us and destroy us. He argues it it has the mark of all sort of perverse desires. That is that it's seeking something it cannot have. 
As long as we are governed, says Lewis, by the desire for the inner ring, uh, you will never get what you want. Uh, Reaching the inner ring is like trying to peel an onion. If you succeed, there is, well, nothing left. Uh, The quest for the inner ring, says Lewis, never ends. It is a remarkable uh, short uh, piece of writing uh, by Lewis. Uh, Reading it again uh, this week provoked for me instant flashbacks of what he was talking about. It's as if Lewis had been following me around all of my life and observing me and then writing it down. Uh, Flashbacks to moments of uh, being desperate to be in the in crowd of the first 11 at school. Or the different cliques that formed at Bible college around different things and, and wanting to be inside or the workplace, or family life. There's so many of these experiences where we just want to be inside the next inner ring. Well, as we turn uh, to James tonight, we will find he speaks of this very issue. Now have a look with me, James chapter 2, verse 1. It's page 1214, 1214, James 2, verse 1. He simply says this. As believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ... Don't show favouritism. Here we have uh, the call that Lewis was making now, made by our God to us. It is a call to break this addiction we have with pursuing the inner ring, at playing at favourites. And so let's look at it together. And as uh, you turn there, uh, James 2, page 1214, uh, just a reminder of uh, really what's at the heart of this letter that we've uh, looked at over these recent weeks. James is written by uh, the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, written to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who have been scattered throughout the the nation surrounding Jerusalem. Scattered in a a disordered world, a world that is opposed to the one they've come to believe. And he's calling them simply to persevere in faith. Persevere in faith, as we saw in chapter 1 verse 4, so that they may be mature and complete not lacking anything. That is the vision he has set before these believers. See what God is doing in all of your life. And as this letter goes on, really what James is doing is he's teaching us both the how of perseverance and then he's also showing us what it actually looks like in the details of our lives. And so last week, if you were here, we saw, if you like, the first glimpse of the how. You remember it back in 1 verse 22. Here it was at its simplest. Joe has spoken of it already tonight. Don't merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves, do what it says. That's the how. And tonight we begin to see what that actually looks like, what it looks like to be someone who doesn't just hear but heeds the word of God. And James is going to give us a window into that uh, through this issue of favouritism. And here is what he's going to say to us essentially. Hearing and heeding the word of God means that you will have no favourites. Instead, you will love mercifully. So let me read verse one again. There you see the command at its simplest. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Here in the first verse, he's uh, talking about two activities that cannot coexist. They can't be together. A showing favoritism and faith in the Lord Jesus. They're like oil and water. They're immiscible. You can't mix them. And yet he gives this command because trouble is, in our lives as believers, we think we can defy the laws of chemistry. We think we can happily mix faith and favouritism. They get along just fine in our lives. This word uh, favouritism in verse 1 literally means to receive the face of another. 
To play favourites is to welcome the face of some and not others when you see that face. That's what it means to be in the inner ring. This person is allowed in, that person can stay out there. It's a judgment not based on deep things, but the surface realities to stay at face value. It is something, as we read in Deuteronomy just before, as Nick read for us, uh, that our God never does. He shows no partiality. The God who made and sustains the universe never shows favouritism. And as believers, those who trust in his ways, that they are good and wise, we are to have no part in favouritism either. Which begs the question, doesn't it, as we see this instruction in verse 1, this command, uh, why do we do it? <laughs> because I'm imagining none of us here, none, uh, no one here who's a Christian tonight would have seen verse 1 of chapter 2 and thought, well, that's a surprise. I, I, didn't think, uh, I wouldn't have thought God would have had a problem with that. Uh, we know this is an issue. And yet here we have an example of what we saw last week, of being those who merely hear the word uh, but don't heed it. And so why do we do it? It's a bit like asking a, a, a sort of a young child, asking a boy, why did you pull your sister's hair? Uh, to which he responds, I'm speaking not from experience, of course, to which he responds, well, I don't know, I just did it. Is that how it is with us, with favouritism? It's just what we do. Well, let's dig a bit deeper. Let's examine our hearts to see why we do this, what drives us to forget God's clear and present word to us in the fray of life. And to help us, uh, James is going to help us do that by giving us an illustration of favouritism, this sort of dynamic at play for his, the first readers, these uh, people scattered in these nations. Have a look, verse two. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a, a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, But say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Two men, poles apart, one rich and finely dressed, one poor like an unmade bed. Both have entered the Christian gathering. Here they are in the 6.30 service with us. The problem with these verses is I reckon often when I've looked at them, it seems such an extreme example. We think we would never do that. How perverse is that to sort of to take the, the rich, fancy-dressed man and give him a fine seat and, and, and then tell the poor man to sit in the corner? We'd never do that. There's no special seats in this building, is there? But put yourself for a moment in the shoes of the first readers. Think about all they've been through. Believers who had built their livelihoods in Jerusalem, comes to, they come to faith in Jesus And as they come to faith in Jesus, that has huge consequences, huge costs. All of a sudden, they are forced to leave Jerusalem, leave their livelihoods. All they had there is gone, everything left behind. Now in these distant nations, unfamiliar in their surrounds, unconnected, probably unemployed. There he is, the man with the golden ring comes in. Uh, The man, most likely, the commentators say, uh, from the Roman equestrian class, that's what the gold ring signified. He's one of the elite, the rich, the connected. If you're friends with him, you're on the right track. The other guy, what can he offer you? You see, when you stop to think about why these believers would show favouritism, this isn't extreme at all. It seems a logical thing to do. 
we see what drives favouritism is this. It's quite simple. We show favouritism in the hope that we will well gain favour from the one we have been partial to. It's a sort of quid pro quo system. It's the logic of our world, isn't it? And the world of work works this way. Show more favour to your boss, you're more likely to get the promotion. And the opposite is true. Our treatment of the underling, the person who is under us, uh, who adds no value to us, uh, being favourable to them doesn't really help us at all. And besides, putting them under our feet makes us feel, well, just a little bit taller. The same can be true in our interactions with, uh, say, service providers. Uh, How easily we treat very differently someone who's, say, a client and someone who serves us, the lady at the co-op. But the focus here in these verses is not in the outside world, but here in this place, in this gathering. And so to our question again, why would we show favouritism here? Well, I put it to you, it's for the same reason. We play favourites with those who can offer us, well, some form of favour. And what might that be? Have you ever thought about that? The the people that you play favourites with, your your cliques in this place? Is it the favour of comfort, safety? And do we gravitate to those in this place who are, well, fun to be around? The socially easy They offer us, you know, after the service, an uplifting conversation or at least an easy one. But others we're happy to keep at a distance. In fact, we might veer away in the pews to avoid them. They're just hard work. Conversations with them is like wading through treacle or sort of trying to wake the dead just to get something out of them. Or just plain odd. Or is it uh, the comfort of sticking to the usual suspects? our crew while we're happy if others join in our crew let's be honest it's easier if they don't well consider the way uh, you enter this building on a Sunday night as you survey the seats and where you're going to sit where do you sit what's going through your mind at that moment or how we arrange ourselves over in the church centre afterwards what is the favour we're looking for or how do we approach small group are there people in your small group you're happy to be at a distance from And others, you're quite pleased if you end up next to them. Well, perhaps your small group uh, is even more defined than that. It is a closed circle. Theoretically, you'd be open to others joining it, but, well, not really. The circle works quite well as it is. It's full. If pushed, they need to be the right sort of person. They need to be, well, our type. Well, what about if you're someone who is here on a Sunday morning? Who, who gets the invite to lunch afterwards to your house? Or put the other way, uh, whose invite do you accept even when you're busy? And whose do you decline at any excuse? Now, the payoff of showing favouritism to gain comfort is significant, isn't it? But our God says, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favouritism. But comfort is only one of the gains, isn't it? I imagine and I hope in our small groups this week we'll see many of the other things that drive us to show favouritism. There can be many. It, can be, it could be as base as material gain. Who gets a say here at Christchurch Forward? Is it the one who pays their way? Is partiality involved in that? I trust not, but the temptation is there, isn't it? 
Or do we play at favourites for the payoff of being in on something important, the inner ring of uh, some significant group here at church, the parish council or the uh, rebuilding committee or whatever it might be? Uh, We love to be around those whose roles seem significant to at least us or others. But then, of course, there is the partiality we show in response to missing out on the inner circle. Uh, that's the one that struck me this week. It's not just the circles that, that form, uh, uh, the popular people form. It's also the circles that, that are formed by people who look in at the inner ring and feel gypped, feel that like they've missed out. And so they form their own circle of, well, envy with those who are similarly discontent about something. Our gatherings there, our circles there are warmed by our, well, mutual grumbling. James 2 verse 1, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favouritism. So why such a strong prohibition, this thing that seems so pervasive in the way we go about relationships, so common, so mundane? Why? Well, because, verse 4, favouritism is incredibly serious. James says, when you make distinctions between people that way, playing at favourites, you're making judgments you have no right to make. It's not your seat, the judgment seat. And the thought processes you use when you finally sit in the seat that's not yours in the first place, well, they're evil. Evil. That's a strong word, isn't it? You almost want to say to James, steady on. Yes, maybe I should be nicer to more people, maybe a little less judgmental. No, says God, you're sitting in my chair and you have no right to sit in it. And when you do, you show yourself to be foolish because your thoughts are evil. And what James is going to do in the rest of this passage, he's going to give you two reasons why it is so incredibly evil to show favouritism. He's going to jolt us that this is very, very serious even though it's common. And here's the first of them. Showing favouritism is evil because it means, as we saw last week, you have forgotten. It's the forgetfulness of chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. You remember it. It's not so much a, a mental forgetfulness, it's a heart forgetfulness, where we turn aside from the truth of God and his purposes. Turn aside from the reality of this world and its purposes as is revealed to us in the word of truth. This forgetfulness, I think, is implied all the way through this passage. A number of statements that James makes and questions that he asks, which really have behind them one simple question. Have you forgotten? Now, let me show you the first of them. It's there again in verse 1. Look how he describes us as Christians. We are believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. As we anxiously play at favourites, hoping to get in, have you forgotten that you are in with Jesus, who is glorious? You are in with the Christ, the Messiah, the, the hope of the ages. You're in with him. You are by faith in with the Lord, the one who occupies in this universe the supreme position at God's right hand. There is no more special seat than the one he occupies. You have friends in high places. You are by faith in with Jesus who is glorious. It is as 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 says, uh, when you receive the word of truth about Jesus, the gospel, the very glory of God was unveiled to you in his face. 
It is a glory that should put all the power, all the comfort, all the applause, all the importance, all the sense of belonging that we might get from some inner ring in its place. You are in with him. What favour do you hope to gain through favouritism that can compare with that? Have you forgotten? And as for favour, well, by faith, your cup overflows. That's the second thing they've forgotten. Have a look at verse 5. Have you forgotten this, he says, that God has chosen the poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promises to those who love him? Have you forgotten, he says? Do you remember, he says to us tonight, who you were before you came to faith in Jesus? You were as an outsider as you could possibly imagine. Ephesians calls you this. You are one without God and without hope in the world. John 8 says you are a slave in a rich man's house without Jesus. But that same chapter, John 8 says, when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Not just free from the debt of sin, free to stay with him because he's now your king. And verse five, you see it there, how good is this? You are heirs with him of that kingdom. When we look for favour in whatever places we do, remember this, you have been born into royalty. (laughs) You have a coat of arms. What favour could you possibly need? Now here's the third and final thing that they've forgotten. They've forgotten the reality of the world, which means that as they play at favourites with the rich and connected as they're doing, well, they're looking in the wrong place for favour altogether. Have a look, verse six. How could they have forgotten this? Is it not the rich, James says, who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? How could you forget that? I mean, surely the scars of persecution would remain, maybe even literally. But here again is the heart's capacity to set aside reality as it pursues what it wants. They're almost like, James is saying, they're almost like problem gamblers who think, no, this time it's going to be different. It's going to be a different outcome. No, says James, no, it won't. That just ain't reality. And I reckon our playing at favourites comes from the same sort of forgetfulness, a setting aside of God and his good purposes for us, a a foolish pursuit of favour in the world, thinking this time it will be different. This inner ring will make everything different. If I'm in there, I will lack for nothing. It's again based on the wrong bet that those I play favourites with are all committed to my good. But the truth is, The rich man who enters into the room in verse two comes not as a benefactor. No, he's just as committed to his own good as you are committed to yours and I am committed to mine. The system of favourites in this world is bankrupt. Have we forgotten, says James. Have we forgotten that there is one, only one, one rich man who has ever walked into this world on whom this bet of favouritism is safe with. The one who, uh, Corinthians tells us, though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Here is the only one who is the rich man who comes for your favour. 
Now that's what verse five declares, isn't it? He chose the poor to be rich, the orphan to be his royal heir. There was nothing in it for him. Now we see the same declared by uh, Paul at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians, uh, verse 26 of chapter one, he says this, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. And you see how God plays favourites? He turns everything about this world upside down. He chooses the favourless. He chooses the one with nothing to offer. That's your God's inner ring. He, he says, uh, here is my crew. Here's how it's going to work out. I choose the foolish, the weak. I choose the socially awkward, the dull. I choose the nobodies. I choose the chavs. I choose the wallflower. I choose the foreigner. That's who God wants to spend eternity with and we can't spend an evening with them. Read the Gospels. See who Jesus gravitates to. It's not an accident. This is the heart of your God, the prostitute, the sick, the sinner, the mentally unstable, the outcast, the scoundrel. That's his crew. This should jolt us. God chooses not many, Paul says in Corinthians, not many who are rich in the eyes of the world. God chooses many who are poor in the world's eyes. Let me ask you this. Which category do you put yourself in? Uh, The many poor or the rich by human standards? Which category are you in? I reckon it would be an obnoxious arrogance for us as forwardites to describe ourselves in any sense as poor in the eyes of the world. And so read of God's way in verse five and realise this, that you became rich in faith, that you are an heir of his kingdom is a miracle. You're not his type. You snuck in. It should cause you to rejoice in just how gloriously good and generous your God is. Even you got in. And I think it should cause us to tremble. And it should humble us. It should jolt us from our feeble games of favouritism that are, well, evil. First, because it shows how much we've forgotten about our God and King. And second, and finally, because it means we are rejecting the law our King gives us. Have a look at verse 8. If you really keep the royal law, remember we're now part of a kingdom, the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Quite simply, but very seriously, favouritism is a sin. The royal law, the law of our king, a law shaped by his own nature is love of the other, merciful love, love of the neighbour. Favoritism, sort of inner rings, exclusions, envy, these things have no place in his kingdom. They are anathema. To show favoritism is to hear the word of the king and say, I reject it. Now, let me push a bit further. Have a look at verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. 
A lawbreaker is a lawbreaker to our God because right at the heart of his law is this simple other person-centred love. If you break the law at one point, it is evidence of your attitude toward the king. It shows you are against him and his ways in this world which have at their heart this law of love. I wonder if you noticed when James speaks of the law, and we'll learn more about this as we go along in James. I wonder if you noticed, though, have a look at uh, verse 25 of chapter 1 and also verse 12 of chapter 2. When he speaks of the law, he says this, it is the law that gives freedom. Those who come to faith in Jesus are rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom, highly favoured, are now freed to live by the law of his kingdom. Free to live as a human in a whole new way than you've ever lived before. Freed from the fearful pursuit of inner rings and playing at favourites. Free because you are filled with his favour. Remember, this is the one at the start of Luke. It says, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth on whom his favour rests. The very favour of the God of the universe rests on you. You are now freed to love without fear of the cost. With no expectation of favour in return. Let me say, I reckon our witness to Fullwood and Sheffield would be radical if we heeded this simple command. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if people looked in on us as a church family and they saw this at work, they saw this kingdom at play. They looked in and saw, well, there's no favourites here. Why are there no favourites here? That's so unusual. And we'd say, you're kidding. Why play favourites? We don't need to play favourites. We're royalty. We're all kings and queens who follow the way of the king. The only king who walked into this world, and you know what he did, he picked up his crown and he laid it aside to bring us favour. Now there is a moment in every Carols by Candlelight service uh, that I've been to here, a moment that I long for, I look forward to, no matter how many we have, I was at six last time or five, at six next time, Each time is still wonderful. There's one line in Hark the Herald Angels Sing that every time I hear it, uh, the hairs on my back uh, stand on end. A mild he laid his glory by. I reckon every time that line is sung in that song around the world, the whole universe takes a breath, breathes in. It is remarkable. Here is the king of the universe, the one who owns everything, walks into this world, picks up his crown and lays it down. Well, what a wonder it would be if that's what people saw as they looked in on us. How compelling the invitation to come and meet our king would be then. Here is a kingdom filled with circles of friends, yes, but they are all curved out, not in. Can you imagine? Well, let me finish with this, verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. One final go at us, James has here. Showing favouritism, he says, is tantamount to saying to God, this system of mercy, this system of other person-centred love that you're using, I despise it. Your costly love of the other is a foolish way to live in this world. To which our God says, you want to live by a law that is outside the realm of grace and mercy? You really want that? Well, so be it. 
you will be judged without mercy. But know this, says God, verse 13, the law of mercy, of love of the other, without hope of return favour, is not a foolish way forward. It is very, very powerful. This kingdom of mercy, of love of the other, wins in this world. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Exhibit A, the cross. Exhibit A, the king taking off his crown. And even now, even now those of us who are prone to forget our glorious saviour, our glorious inheritance, the bankruptcy of the favouritism system in our world, those prone to play at favourites as we do, even now, even for us, comes these welcome and precious words uh, later in James. James 4 verse 6, he says this, but he gives more grace. Every time we fail in this area, that's his response. He gives more grace. And so let us as a church family come to him again tonight and in the weeks to come in humble repentance, asking for fresh grace and calling upon him to work in all things to lead us away from these foolish games we play with favourites and instead towards maturity and completeness and such that we will lack no good thing. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, and we know this world and everything in it is yours. And we know your heart is to love the other. And we know it because of Jesus. He is our King and he calls us to live by his law. Help us to see the freedom in that. Help us to delight in being a church family that ceases to play favourites and loves mercifully. Now we pray this for your glory's sake. Amen.